Here we go. Tim Mahoney bringing us in with Come On Home. Such an apropos song for tonight. As I am speaking with someone deeply rooted in the state of Kansas. And whenever I talk with someone in Kansas, I feel like I'm coming home. As Kansas is really my second home. It is my privilege to have on the Beelings and Tennis podcast tonight an individual who for almost 20 years was the sports director at Channel 6 News in Lawrence, Kansas and is now the primary on-air talent for Midcoast Sports Network in Northeast Kansas. My good friend, we call him Big Tex, but most people in Kansas know him by his name, Kevin Romery. Kevin, welcome to the pod. How are you, my man? <laughs> Some viewers prefer, but uh, it's an honor to be on a show. You know, I cover basketball and football and all the other sports all the time, but rarely do I get asked to take part in a tennis and or golf podcast. <laughs> you say, coming home, that feels like home to me. <laughs> and we will touch on a little golf. That is not something uh, that I really am a, an expert by any means on, but there was some real uh, pretty cool news from a certain Kansan over the weekend in golf. So, hey, man, I, f- I feel like this is such a role reversal for me. I mean, gosh, you're the professional interviewer, and I remember calling into you and Coach Stein's radio show in the 90s, right, on KJHK. What was it called? The uh, It was Big Tex and the Coach, right? Somebody called it Southern Fried Sports because uh, John Stein was from Memphis and I was from Dallas, and so they always thought there was some sort of Southern appeal on it. So somebody <laughs> called it Southern Fried Sports, we thought that was funny, and so we totally stole that. Well, we definitely can hear it from both your, your accent and, and Coach Stein's accent for hey, sure. Yeah, I'm trying to get rid of that. Tiny. I'm trying to get rid of that. I don't want to say this anymore. Uh, uh, yeah, you, you'll hear Big Tex. Uh, Kevin, I'll call me Tiny. That's, you know, nothing crazy about that. Just got, I have a really, really small head. So. Do your listeners know that story? <laughs> no, they don't. Right. We're going to move on. <laughs> So, hey, we all know um, the people who have heard you speak and do what you do for a living. We know you're a huge, huge sports fan. But what they may not know is what you kind of talked to earlier is you're also a huge tennis fan. You know your stuff. What what really got you interested in the sport? You know, when I was a kid, it was just, I don't know, it was one of the things my parents stuck me into. I was kind of a, a country club rat, so to speak. And so my dad was a big golfer, and he, he didn't play much tennis but he really enjoyed watching sports. So, you know, this is back in the day when there was no cable. You couldn't see, you know, the, the Aussie Open at night. And, you, you, had, you know, Wimbledon was just just on NBC or whatever it was on the day. So you had just a couple of matches in the morning. Nobody really thought about the French Open yet much. But the U.S. Open was kind of the prime time thing. And so I just remember as a kid, more so than even, even watching Wimbledon, because the, those of those matches were in the morning, so it's hard to watch over, over on this side of the pond. But I remember in the evenings, every time we Dad and I would sit down and we'd start watching some some U.S. Open, and you know that's back in the Connors, McEnroe, you know that kind of that kind of era. Almost maybe maybe Lindell just start to kind of sneak in a little bit. But uh, that's the time we kind of watched it. I was taking tennis lessons as a kid. Really enjoyed playing that, and that, that's kind of where I got my start. I mean, you know, like every other kid that was in sports, I played some basketball here and there, and a couple other things. But but golf and tennis, man, those were my things, and. And it was fun. As a country club kid, we played nine in the morning, go to the club, uh, go to the pool in the afternoon, then at night, our parents wanted us out of the house, so we go play tennis for a couple hours. Got it. Hey, uh, Pete, Pete Sampras or Andre Agassi, who's, who's your guy? That's a great question. You know, I love the greatness of Pete, and I always hated Andre because, like most people, you thought he was wasting his talent, and you wanted him just to straighten up. He's the... If, if you're a younger lad out there listening, Andre was Andre was Nick Curious, right? Right. He's a curious guy. He like, he's got all the tools. When's he gonna figure it out? And when Andre won, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it was the '92 Wimbledon when he mm-hmm. won super early. And man, you loved his outfits. You loved those those camera commercials, so dynamite. But you never thought he'd put it together. And I, I think I gravitated toward being Andre guy. I I was never really a peak guy. And I, you know, you always wanted Lindell to lose because just got he was always an angry guy. It seemed like, but um, I gravitated toward Andre at the time, and I, most of it wasn't because I disliked Pete. 
I just honestly got tired of him winning everything. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, you got tired. You wanted some competition for him, especially at Wimbledon. You really wanted some competition, and Andre seemed like the only guy. What makes that matchup interesting, uh, David, the only, I'm sure you'll agree with this, that's back when American tennis seemed like it was the best in the world. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Who knew? Who knew? That 20, 25 years later, we went right from McEnroe and Connors right into then the greatest generation that U.S. tennis has ever had. You had Pete, Andre, Michael Chang, Jim Currier, and David Wheaton. The list goes on and on. And, uh, and then straight into the, is it the worst era of American tennis? <laughs> we try to keep, hey man, we try to keep the podcast positive here, okay? So no, let's not... Con- <laughs> Yeah, we're going to... And, and my joke always is, David, is who is the next guy? And has he been born yet? And I hope he is. There, I hope he's out there. We, there's, some, there's, some, there's some teenagers out there I think both you and I probably like. Hey, I've asked that exact question. Who's the next American to win a slam, and is he born yet? To uh, a very good friend of mine, David Zakoden. He's been a guest on a courtside segment. He's been on the pod as well. Um, his answer was... The person is not on Pro Tour yet, but he is born. <laughs> okay. Hey, you know, it's funny. I saw something the other day with the advances of science. It said the first person to live to be 150 years old has already been born. Okay? Oh, interesting. It's, it's not you and me. No. <laughs> because we're too old. So I'm glad to hear that about American too. <laughs> so we got some time. On the planet now. Right, 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 right. Yeah, we'll we'll touch on someone who also has a Kansas connection later, uh, near the end of the podcast, and, and you know who that is. But let's kind of move into to more of the modern era. And gosh, I mean, we're saying, are they almost done, or are they still at their peak and they're playing unbelievable tennis? We said Andre, Pete. Now we go Rafa and Roger. Who are you, buddy? You a Rafa guy or you a Roger guy? Um, I'm a Rafa guy, but I do love Roger. Um, but when they play each other, my, I always want them to meet. I want them to meet only in finals. I have not liked the last couple of years when they're not seen in one two. Right. I hate it. I hate it when they get on the same side of the bracket, like probably a lot of people do. And uh, when they're in the same half, it's just not the same. Um, and this, you know, the, the Aussie Open that just wrapped up, it was really unique because with none of the other big guns in there. No Andy, no Novak, no Stan. Um, I mean, a lot of names in there that you wanted to be involved. I mean, I, I just want these two guys to play in finals anyway. It worked out perfect because they were one and two. I know. And honestly, honestly, the only thing that could stop either one of them, other than each other, is what happened to Rafa was an injury. Right. There's no way, there's no way Rafa would not have made the final if he hadn't gotten injured. Yeah, and I mean, even at the even at the um, U.S. Open, this past U.S. Open, they were they, unfortunately the the U.S. Open draw gods. They didn't have them on the opposite side. They were on the same half, and they were gonna they were gonna potentially play in a semifinal. But Roger just wasn't uh, himself. He had got hurt. He hurt his back tournament before. I think it was two weeks before the Open yeah, started. Yep, and it, again, it was injury. So that's the only thing that's stopping those two. And I was upset at the U.S. Open too. I know you got to go by the rankings at some level, but there is some wiggle room there. Yep. Correct, they which never, is, which, it has to happen, it has to happen. Correct. And with the years that those two guys had last year, I mean, let's, let's get real, by the time the U.S. Open started, they were one and two again. There's no reason to go off these other seedings. They were the two best players of the tournament. And Andy Murray, Andy Murray on the bottom side of the draw withdrew. He, the problem was he withdrew late, and they had a ranking... They had rules in place that they couldn't just move the drug exactly. It was too late. And that's the change that Tennessee's made. I mean, they've got to do that to where you get the final that you want. Can you imagine? I mean, imagine though if Roger had been healthy and made it to the semis. Then you've got that match in the final four. And then what's the final going to be? Right. I, I mean, you see that a lot in basketball. The final four, the final, one of the final four matchups yeah. should be the answer. I mean, God, we had VCU and Butler in one final four matchup. Hey, don't so. say that. That brings back painful memories. I know, I know, I know, I know. That's, that's, the, that's the championship Kansas got to look at. That's a different podcast. That is a totally different podcast. But tennis, this is something that tennis needs 
fans are great because this is this is a sport that you and I love, but it's fighting for an audience right now, especially in the United States, since there's no really solid Americans that people could follow on the mid Well, I don't know. I mean, Kevin. I mean, but we got. Gosh, we're going to have the U.S. Open in 2018. If it doesn't happen, if Rafa and Roger in the final or even semis, if they don't face each other in 2018, I don't know if there's going to be a 2019 of them facing. We're, it has to happen. And, and maybe the tennis gods weren't ready for it to happen last year. This might be the year. So. Yep. Totally struck gold last year with those guys out. If those three guys are all 100%, we probably don't see a 2 2 split in the majors between those two guys. Um, and they certainly wouldn't have been seated the way they were in a couple of those where we did get the final, at least. You know, we got the Aussie final we wanted. Um, I understand why Roger doesn't play in the French. I wish he would. I understand why he doesn't. And I'm sure the French Open people, it tears their heart out that he doesn't play in their tournament. And he has not come public, but I mean, come on, do you really think he's going to play? Do you really yeah, he's, he's not going to play. He's not going to play. So you figure the next chance they have then is Wimbledon, but that's obviously a tough one for Rafa because he's done nothing but play weeks of clay court to get ready for the French and see what they're there. So, and then he takes a couple weeks off, and so he doesn't even start playing the warm-ups until, gosh, you know, the middle of June. And that's another thing I wish tennis could find a way to do. And golf needs to do this too. You need to, you got to find a way to put a little extra time in between the majors. They got this whole year, and you pack them all in, really, three of them, and within about a three month period. I wish you'd give a couple extra weeks in there so the guys like Ross and Roger wouldn't even entertain the thought of skipping one. There's been multiple courtside segments on, that I do on Thursday nights on Facebook Live, which uh, viewers have watched, where I've gone crazy on the ATP Tour and their scheduling. And yeah. what you mentioned is just one aspect of it. There's really no off-season. And they have all these tournaments, including uh, Masters 1000 tournaments after the U.S. Open, after the last slam of the year. There's no off-season. No off um, again, I don't want to uh, keep it positive tonight. Let's keep. I'm in a good mood. We got to keep it positive. So what? Are, so what are we? Uh, what are we looking at? <laughs> right. So what are we looking at, Kevin? We got we got Rafa winning the winning the French. Maybe he'll lose a set this uh, in these two weeks or not. <laughs> he didn't last year. He didn't last year, and Novak he just announced he had well he didn't call it a procedure, but what did he do to his elbow? Yeah, he had some sort of procedure. Let's just, you know what, I don't know what term he is, but let's just cut to the chase right now, okay? Rafa's going to roll through, hopefully, you know, knock on wood, no injuries. Rafa's winning the, the French. Roger, again, he's going to win Wimbledon, all right? And then let's, let's just make it happen. U.S. Open, 2018 U.S. Open. The, the years are, are coming to an end with, with these two guys possibly playing in the U.S. Open. Let's end 2018 with them and... Uh, Absolutely, right. absolutely. And make it final, and, and, you know, the U.S. Open deserves that final. It deserves to have those two play somewhere. Semifinals, it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. <laughs> it just doesn't, and, and you're right. I mean, the two greatest players in the history of the game playing at the same time, basically. Uh, Roger obviously had a, a few-year head start, and maybe maybe Rafa can pick up a couple after Roger's really done. Um, but that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And, uh, we'll, we'll see on that end, but man, the fact that it hasn't happened at the U.S. Open, I think part of that is a lot of times Roth is a little worn out by the time he gets there. Right. Uh, although he does have more U.S. Open titles than Aussie Open titles, which is, I think that's another reason he wants the Aussie one so bad, and he seems more frustrated sometimes with that one, especially last year after he lost when he had that 3-1 lead in fifth that he let get away. And I say let get away. Of course, it was Roger. I mean, it's not like just some guy. Right. Um, <laughs> but, but he wants that one, I think. Because he and, he and Rafa, I think Roger and Rafa are friends at one level, but they're sizing each other up. And if Rafa could win that one, he would be the only uh, guy, on, or the only one on the men's side, to have completed the career grand slam two times. Right. And so even if he doesn't catch Roger, 
teenagers. That's something else. You know, like the decimal, you know, decimal last year, no one's going to win 10. Um, going to be a stretch. Maybe Roger does in place lose 52. But, you know, that's something that's something Rafa has. And this would be, you know, something else that he could add is that, hey, man, I want all of them twice. I mean, you can call me a clay core guy, but I want the other three two times. You're going on a very, you are touching, you are getting close to a very delicate topic that I don't feel like we need to get to tonight. Let's say this. Because if Rafa was healthy... We shouldn't have the conversation yet because they're both still playing, right? There's a long time to go. Yeah, but Roger's not going to play the French. And he was fortunate. I'll leave it at this, Big Tex. Roger was very fortunate in 2009 to win the French Open. <laughs> it was a weird year, you know, but it, I mean, it's hard, even for the best player in the history of a surface. I love Roger, and I'm not touching this topic anymore, so we're moving on. You're a Roger guy, right? Uh, I, I love them both. I love them. I really, I love them both. It's hard. It's hard to take sides. I'm a Rafa guy when they go head-to-head, but all I want to see is a Rafa-Roger final. Yeah. I don't want Roger to lose. Like this year, I felt like I was cheated when, when Rafa lost, and Roger wins another one. Do you really feel like, I mean, it was so easy for him. He didn't yeah. have to be hardly anybody that we would consider a real contender. Right. And, man, it's just, it's just I want to see that. We're lucky. We're, we're lucky to be witnessing this. Yeah. As, as, as the whole tennis you world is that. lucky to be seen. And we need to, we need to pay attention to it now, David, because when they're both done, we're going to go into this abyss of who are all these people and is there greatness out there? And that's what that's what we're going through with golf right now. And obviously tennis and golf are very comparable. Right. I mean, it's, it's kind of the post-Tiger era. And I am ready for either Rory or Justin Speed to start winning some of these things to get into, like, you know, historic territory. But they got three and four majors. I mean, think how dinky that sounds in tennis right now. A guy that was three or four is a Hall of Famer first ballot. But it seems dinky right now because of what Serena and Rafa and Roger have done. You're talking about the best tennis players in history. And we talk about them, and then we leave out, oh yeah, that Novak guy who's got 12. Right. Are you kidding me? In any other generation, he'd be the, he'd be, he'd be the only thing we talk about. Yes. Yes, Absolutely. And you say, and then and then you play the game. Well, if he wasn't there, you know, Novak would be the best. Well, you know what? Maybe not because maybe Roger and, and Rafa made Novak work that much harder, right? So Absolutely. you don't. You, you, it's hard to play that game as well. So I mean, yeah. geez, yeah. do you know how many NBA players would win an NBA championship if there wasn't Michael Jordan, right? Yeah, it's a laundry list of them. You know, the, the mailman would like to trade a couple. Exactly. Yeah, Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley has some saying that too. So was Patrick, how, what about Patrick Ewing? What about Patrick Ewing? He probably, he probably had a couple. <laughs> well, maybe a, uh, Miller, Reggie, Reggie might have a couple. But I think you're right, and I think that Roger had that exact same effect on Rafa. I don't know that Rafa would have ever won a Wimbledon or any hardcore events if he wasn't consistently chasing after no, Roger. You drive each other. You get, you get great competition like that. You get greatness. You constantly... Um, drive each other to to greater greater leaps and, and bounds, and we're just privileged. I say it all the time. But with Michael, we used to say set your set your VCR here. You better be setting your DVR because, like you said, they're they're unfortunately not going to be able to play forever. And uh, we're we're uh, we're privileged to watch it. Hey, wanted to um you 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 went to Wimbledon, and obviously not many people get to attend that event. Kind of walk us through, I mean, not so much the matches. I know you were fortunate to see um, Roger play as well as Rafa, not each other. I think you saw some, a couple of quarterfinal matches. But, you know, going through those gates, I mean, just kind of tell the, walk the viewers um, through how cool it is walking through that site. The whole thing was cool, you know, Tony. It was, this is how we even got involved in it. Um, when I had a great aunt that tracked my family history back quite a ways. And she had met some relatives that we have that live in England. And we had, they were great people. We got to know them really well. We made trips over there, and then they made trips over here. And we were out in, uh, in California on a trip with them. And the day before we were done, one of our relatives over there, she comes down with two tickets. And she says, oh, hey, I figured you guys might be interested in this. I, I brought them with me because when we fly back, it was in the summer, so when we fly back to London, they lived out in, the, in Bath, which is out, uh, out west, closer to Wales, out on the other side of uh, Stonehenge. 
And he said, we're not going back home. We're just staying in on like that Saturday. We're staying the night in London because we happen to win in the lottery two tickets to the men's final. <laughs> okay? Hang on. I mean, this was 2007. Okay? Go look up the final that year. I know. I thinking, you, talk, you talk about catching greatness on the very beginning end. Yep. I mean, this was a, a total deal. So we asked, we asked her, said, how did you get those tickets? She said, there's just a simple lottery. You get a ballot from Wimbledon. She said, I'll mail you guys one. You can only fill out one per household. But since there's, I was living in Kansas, and my dad was obviously back in Texas, we both filled one out and just sent it in. Just on a whim. We're like, yeah, we, we're both tennis fans. We figured we'd take a chance. So about, I don't know, six or seven months later, it was like maybe April, and my dad calls and leaves a message. And says, hey, Kev, give me a call. I got something in the mail today, kind of weird. And I totally forgot. I, mean, I wasn't even thinking about this today, right? And so FedEx dropped something off in an envelope. So I called him. And just the way he left the message, my dad and I were real close. So it was, it was really weird. I thought something may be wrong or they got something weird. And he's like, hey, son, I just got some news here for you. And I said, what is wrong, Dad? What's the deal? He says, guess who's going to Wimbledon? <laughs> okay. So that was the first part. So we just thought we got tickets. Now, you can get tickets to any of the reserve courts. It's not just the open seating. Obviously, this was one where you get actual seats at one deal. So you didn't know all the particulars. You were just told you'd get tickets, and they tell you the date so you can start to make arrangements for us. I mean, we obviously had to go a long way to do this. And so we find out they're for the men's quarterfinals, and they have quarters on two different courts. Right. On the center court, because the, the other two quarters um, are on the other big court next door. And so we find out that they're for obviously center court <laughs> and then we then we get our seat assignments once you get the tickets and we look those up and, and I'm not kidding they, they were media seats better than media seats we were on the front row on the side opposite of the Empire Church. I saw so you we, I remember yeah. seeing you you, were, you wore a yellow shirt I think in the Federer yes. when you were watching Federer I, when I got home from the event I scoured the internet to try to find a couple of pictures that I knew but we had to be in the background of a couple and I found one that, to make an awesome gift framed with the tickets to our seats for my dad. It's kind of a memento for us. Unbelievable. So, so that's, that's how we got them. Booked our trip over there. Uh, we stayed in South Kensington. We took the, the tube out there, um, the underground, and you don't take it to the Wimbledon exit. If you ever do it, you get off at the Southfields exit, and there's a million people on the, that stupid subway. And as soon as you pop up, it's a short walk down a major road. There's a golf course on the left, That's where, and it's closed because that's where they park the cars on the fairways. And then you just start to see it on your right. It's, it's basically in a neighborhood. Um, it's, it's crazy. And you walk up, there it is, center court, all the other outdoor courts, the outside courts. I mean, you know, all the weird ones. And uh, we got there early. And since we were there in the middle of the second week, there weren't near as many matches right. going on. And so when we got there, it was one of those days. It wasn't. It was, a, it was an England day. We were nervous. Rain had <laughs> been there. And we did. We sat through. The last year rain delays on center court because they were building the roof. Okay. When we were there, you right? You could see it, but it wasn't. It wasn't in operation yet. It went into operation in I think 2009, the next year. And so we sat through I think two rain delays, maybe three, and it started a little late. But so we got there in time to see. There were a couple of doubles matches taking place. Then we would watch some of that, and then I think there were a couple of juniors on the outside courts. And so we just kind of walked around, went up to Hamlin Hill. Hey, you got some feedback. Talking to the phone. We're getting some feedback there. Okay. That's better. Yep, you're better. You know, back then it was still Hedman Hill. It wasn't really Murray Mount yet because he had just won a humongous fourth round match in five sets. And I forget who he beat, but it was all the talk of England. I mean, the papers, the tabloids, it was crazy. We're hearing about this new guy, and he was going to get Rafa. He was getting Rafa in the, in the next round. Mario Ancic was playing, um, was Roger. And so we got to see, you know, at the time, we got to see the two greatest players of all time. We knew that. But little did we know that Andy Murray would turn out to be the player he is. So we really got to see three of the best four players, um, you know, in the world for the last 20 years. That's very fun. But I got my strawberries and cream. The second I got there, I'm like, Dad, I got to get this. <laughs> we walked through the shop, bought a couple of stupid trinkets, a couple of shirts, got a towel, because everybody needs a, a towel from Wimbledon. Um, but it was awesome. You know, it was it, it was great. It was fun. We got all the matches in. Um, they were both blowout matches. Both Roger and Rafa rolled. That's it's been fun to have a little bit more uh, intrigue in the matches. But uh, no, still such an all-around great experience. Incredible experience. You know, and I've never 
It's stupid. I've not been to the U.S. Open. I've been to the grounds of Roland Garros a couple of times, but not for the tournament. And, uh, I, you know, I'd love, love to get to the Aussie Open someday. Um, but, I, you know, as far as majors go, I, I can't really compare it to anything else, but I think it would be hard to beat that experience. Yeah, that's in such a great, uh, great experience to have that with your dad, too. And I know you and your dad are really close, so that... That's awesome, awesome stuff. And thanks for you know being pretty descriptive about how it is, how you get down there, you walk through what's around it and everything. Because um, I know there's a lot of tennis fans out there that have on their bucket list they'd love to attend Wimbledon. Sure. So. And this was, and I don't know what the ticket prices are now, but David, ten years ago we got them, and that was my first thought. Said, oh no, Dad, we got them for the course. I said these are going to be like you know seven hundred dollar tickets. What are we going to? Okay, we're going to have to provide them no matter what, but. And it came out to be literally like 110 pounds. Right. And back then it was it wasn't quite two for one. The, the exchange rate was terrible for Americans back then. It's better now. It's almost one for one, I think. But back there they were like 160, I think, or 170 dollars a piece for front row, freaking quarterfinals, center court to see the two best players in the world. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was a very, very affordable and really cool day. It was awesome. Awesome. So. Um Thanks for sharing that. that. That's really, really cool. So let's kind of, with all your work and experience with um, the University of Kansas program, obviously you went to school there and then you've worked in Lawrence for a number of, number of years. Let's kind of tie back to, to some Kansas connections. Now, I know when we were in school, both the men's and the women's tennis team at KU um, were very good, very good. And then shortly after we graduated, um, the Title IX um, program eliminated the men's program and the girls team started to slide a little bit now we've had coach Chapman I think from around 2013 I think he was hired I had I had coach Chapman on the on the podcast in, in the fall right right when school started early September and he was he was awesome he was awesome and he's doing some great things they're they're going back to back um they went back to back NCAA tournaments they've lost um heartbreaking matches in the NCAA tournament, they have a girl currently who's um, preseason ranked number one in the NCAAs. Um, have, have you have a good? You had any discussions with Coach Chapman? Do you have any good um, pulse on the program? I know they're they're very good. They're on the they're definitely on the up and up, and he's doing a great great job with the girls. He's done a great job since he got here. Got him back into the NCAA tournament. You mentioned a couple of heartbreakers um, in the first first weekend, the last yeah. couple of weeks. Sadly, this team has been in a weird situation where they've had a couple of injuries late in the season, and even going into the tournaments, they didn't have six. No, they, they had, had to default a doubles so point. They had, they had, they had to default. Not, they had to default a singles point. Yes. And then they had to default one of the three doubles matches yep. so that they, they had to win the other two. And so they, they basically were starting to where, I mean, they had to win four of the five singles matches, yep. but they weren't going to advance. And you're playing against teams who are very good. <laughs> yeah, and you know, Kansas wasn't one of the top seeds, so they're in the, the middle of the pack somewhere, so they're playing another team that's very similar. And I believe last year, was it Notre Dame last year? Yep. For, yeah, been a long time. But that was, I mean, that was a tough one. I mean, you're already starting, you're down 2-0 basically when you when you get things started. Um, I think that that situation has been remedied for this year. I think he's trying to get a little bit deeper, and even if that's a walk-on. The prior year, yeah, and the prior year, Kevin? They had match points. It was it went down to a tiebreaker, I believe. They had match points. It's been two heartbreakers, but yeah, the yeah. depth has been brutal because, like you said, they've had to default one of the doubles matches, one of the three doubles, and a singles match. So you know, and, and Coach Chapman's recruiting. I mean, he's done a great job, and he's taking a look at the roster. I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you, Tony, our alma mater. You know, it's hard to recruit for golf teams, tennis teams baseball teams, softball teams. Because I, I know where you live, it's very cold in the winter. It's not that much warmer here, okay? Yep. So if you're one of those kids, you're going south. I mean, you're going to, you know, the Arizona's, the Texas's, the SEC, somewhere down there. And what, what he's done is he's done a great job of recruiting some foreign talent. Um, in fact, that, the entire roster, maybe except for I think one, one of his kids is not from outside of the country. Um, but that also is a, a testament to what some of the outside, you know, how popular tennis is outside the United States. Correct. Um, for these girls, they're, they're, they're just better, um, which is probably one of the reasons why on the men's side and the women's side, outside of Serena and, and Venus, we haven't had 
Tennis Center, yep. Awesome, and definitely keep a uh, keep a good pulse on that team. I'd be interested to hear more about it from from both Coach, you and Coach. So Shep, by the way, is pretty good golfer too. He and I played the scramble. Is he? <laughs> uh, next time. I don't think our team is very good, but he's pretty solid. All right, I'll ask him about your golf game the next time I talk with him. Hey, keeping uh keeping on our Kansas connections, uh, we got to bring him up, and and I'm more interested to hear your thoughts because the people who've listened to my courtside. Courtside segments have heard me talk about him till I'm blue in the face. Uh, he's not from, he's not born in Kansas, but he did play his high school tennis in Kansas. I think he went 88 and old. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure. Jack Sock, you a believer? Um, you and I have talked about this off podcast. I'm a believer in being a really good pro. And now, is your question, do I think he can win a major? I yeah. Right now. I mean, there's some room, there's some work that's got to be done. Um, you know, when he was in, in high school, he was in the Kansas City area, and he came over here and played a couple times. Unfortunately, I, I never got to see him in person, but he won four straight Kansas high school state championships. Yep. And the question was, what is he doing playing high school tennis? I can't, no disrespect to the state of Kansas, but the tennis here is, you know, small state, small population, and it's cold. And there's not a lot of places to play tennis. There's a couple of indoor facilities in Kansas City. Obviously, the one they got down here in Kansas or in Lawrence. Um, but there's just not many opportunities for kids to play uh, tennis in this state. And he was so dominant. You mentioned I really know. I'd be interested in knowing how many sets he lost. Well, to give you an idea, to give you an idea, because I also interviewed this other on Ross Gion, Gion from uh, University of Illinois. He was an All-American in college, okay? He was another kid. Sock played him in the finals two years in a row and destroyed him. Now, Ross is very, very good. Very good. So, that's really your competition. And other than that, you know, I think he played, his brother was on it, so he wanted to play with his brother. Let me, let me ask you this about him, okay? He, he likes the big stage. He doesn't shy away from it. He doesn't get scared. He likes the big atmosphere. He doesn't always win, but he doesn't shy away from that. Do you feel, and if you look at his Grand Slam results, the last five Grand Slams have been bad. Do you feel that he has that, I'll use the term grindability, to really work and grind it out against guys who are not top 10, not top 20 in the world, find a way to get through those guys that he is supposed to beat and get consistently to the round of 16 in majors. And then he's at that stage where he really likes to shine. Especially in his, you know, when you're not seated, you know, one through five, you're going to run into some tough matches pretty quick. Yes. You know, we get used to watching Roger Ross, but yeah, they don't play a seated guy until, you know, maybe the fourth round. But when you're, you know, if you're seated, what, what's he been, 25, 20, you know, right. in that range somewhere. And I know he, what he, he busted into the 
teens, maybe a year, a couple years ago. Right. Um, but man, they're gonna find you're gonna meet some really good guys just a couple of matches in. You know, I, I think the reason you want to call him a grinder is because you got to consider what his weapons are. His weapon is his forehand. But there's a lot of guys that have big forehands out there. You know, his serve is solid, but it's not huge. And so, you know, like Rafa, his serve's not huge, but he's a grinder. Um, and so he's a smaller stature kind of guy. Um, you know, he's not this curious or, a, you know, an isner, a guy that's six million um, <laughs> in height, you know, that's that it serves straight down. I just don't um, think, I just, I don't think his type of game is what you would consider a well, guy who would hit 30 ball rallies for over four hours. He just won't do it. I don't think that's what he wants to do. Not at all. Do, he wants to end it quick, right? Yeah. Now, question to you is, should he change that? Uh, you're not going to change your game at this stage. But I think no. there's, I think there is an in-between there that he doesn't have to, um, he doesn't have to keep hitting his forehand five times hard in a row, then six, then a seven. He's got very good hands. He's won a, he's yeah. won a Grand Slam doubles title. Um, he needs to. He needs to. I don't know if a, a little more hard is the word um, in those earlier rounds, those earlier matches. He needs to pump himself up and fight like hell in those earlier rounds, as he likes to do on the bigger stage. So and let's and leave it. Let's leave it at that. I, I've talked about this, him let me, so much. Let, let me say this about him, though. Just a little side story here from Lawrence. The old uh, high school. There's two high schools here in town, and uh, the Free State High School team had some good players. And I knew the coach there a little bit. And when Jack was in high school, I asked him. I didn't know anything about him. And I heard his name. Said, hey, what, what's up with this Jack Stock kid? Coach kind of smiled at me. He says, oh, he's, he's the real deal. And I said, what kind of real deal are we talking about? I said, what, I mean, what kind of Division One school uh, you know, is he going to go to? And he looked at me. He looked at me. And he was like a sophomore, I think, then. Or maybe a junior. Coach looked at me and said, Kevin, he's not going to college. Yeah. And I said, oh, oh okay. That, that, but that led to my next question was, why the heck is he playing high school tennis in Kansas? Right. I mean, we got a guy that was a no-doubter going straight to the tour. Yep. No-doubter. And as you mentioned it, there's some reasons. I wanted to play with some friends, I think, and maybe a brother, that yep. kind of stuff. And you, can't, you don't get those years back. I don't begrudge you to that at all. Um, and obviously it's worked out very nicely for him. You know, we, we think these guys are probably short of expectations because they're not major champion winners, and that's a little unfair. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's one of the top 30 tennis players in the world right now. That's, that's pretty dark. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We're just, you, like you said, we're starving. We're starving for someone. We're nitpicking because, right, exactly. We're starving for someone. And you know what, David? Maybe that's certain. Maybe there's no American for him to be chasing. Maybe if there was an older Agassi or an older Sampras. Maybe. Or one of those guys around right now, or even a Roddick, who at least won a major. Maybe if, if he was just a few years behind those guys, maybe that would, maybe that would change his perspective. Maybe. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. I, I look, man. I'm one of his biggest fans. I get frustrated with him sometimes because of um, you know some of his results in the bigger events. But I'm one of his biggest supporters. And, 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 and you know, he's a likable guy. Super. Yep. You know, he's not like. And I keep bringing Curtis's name up because he seems like the glamour boy now. But he's not one of those guys. You root. You root for Jack. You want him to be good because he's a good, solid dude too. Yeah. I mean, the the tennis. The tennis fans would just eat him up if he if he got there and start making runs and one or these. He becomes super popular, I think, yep. really quick. Yeah, I can't disagree with you there. So um, let's stick with our Kansas uh, connections here. We had, and we're gonna we're gonna shy away from tennis. I you know I got you on the pod. You got so much knowledge. I got to uh, got to keep you on to, to touch on a couple other topics, and I'll uh, let you talk a little bit about this guy because you know him better than I. But um, Gary Woodland. KU grad. Most people don't know he played basketball at Washburn for a year. So this guy's a sick athlete. Just won a huge golf tournament over the weekend. I'll let you uh, speak about Gary for a little bit. Yeah, if you got any old Kansas fans listening right now, man, how about that bad weekend basketball? <laughs> Jayhawks cannot win a game at Allen Fieldhouse. So We're going to touch on that in a minute. We're going to touch on that in a minute. Get that minute. But, uh, man, what a great, great weekend for Gary Woodland. This is a guy that's been so close the last five years. He won a couple tournaments early, and he's been, I mean, he's a top 50 guy in the world. He's a lot like, uh, you know, maybe maybe say he's a jack stock is a very terrible deal. Um, Gary won a couple PGA tournaments back, I think, in 11 and 13, but had not won in five years. However, he has finished in like the top 30, 40 of the money list 
in the finish. He got point standings. He makes it to the final round several times. This is a guy that is in the hunt all the time. Um, he just had not been able to really break through and, and win another PGA Tour event. He felt like it was coming. He felt like it was coming. And he's had trouble when he's been doing early on like Thursday, Friday. He's kind of had trouble when he's in the league, when he's not chasing, when he's trying to maintain. And he started yesterday behind, and he started chasing early. Man, and this guy, he made nine birdies yesterday in 19 holes, went to a, a playoff because Ches Ravey makes this ridiculous yes. putt on, on 18. Yes. If he, if he attempted that putt 10 times, he probably only makes it twice. And, and 20% of the time, it goes down the first one he hits. And I was a little concerned because usually the guy that just finishes, he's still loose. It's like the next hole for him. So I feel like those guys have an advantage as opposed to Gary who finished like an hour before. Right, he's on the driving range trying to stay loose. Trying to stay loose. They hit steps up there 18 and drills his team ball into the bunker. <laughs> break. It didn't plug. It didn't jump into the high stuff. It stayed in the sand. And he only had a short wish to the green. And then he hits a solid shot from there. Chez had a bad, uh, he had a bad approach. And carried two bucks for the win. Huge now. Now he's in the top 10 at the money list. The FedEx Cup points. Takes a ton of pressure off for the rest of the year. And keep, keep it out on Gary. Because this, this has implications for some bigger things down the road. And he's been a very successful pro. I'm sure he's made more money than he ever dreamed he'd make. He doesn't need more money at this point. Um, the couple things I'm sure he'd like to add, that's his third PGA Tour victory. I'm sure he wants to add a few more victories. But like a Jack Stock, a major, you never know. A couple of courses set up really good for his length and his power. His putting is getting much better. That's what he's worked on here recently. Um, not only that, but a couple more wins. He's been in the top 50 of the world golf rankings. You know, the Ryder Cup, big deal like the Davis Cup. Yep. You, know, you want to you be on that team to represent your country. And if you're in the top 10 or 12 Americans, you can do that. I want to say last year he was in the top 25 or 30 Americans. So he's really close. And he was just a couple of, instead of finishing second or third, you win a couple tournaments and you start eyeballing some of those other things. And all of a sudden, and you start thinking about Kansas and Jayhawk playing the Ryder Cup. Maybe. Yeah, and, and we're not going to go into, uh, into detail on it, but we're real happy for him and his family because they went through... Yeah. Uh, we're not going to talk about it because it's pretty personal, but they went through hell. He actually talked to me about it. His son Jackson is perfectly healthy, and he's a miracle. But he and his wife Gabby had some trouble getting pregnant, and they finally did. It was twins, and then uh, it was a boy-girl twins, and, and the girl didn't make it. Um, she, she, just after a few months of the pregnancy, um, they had complications, and the girl didn't make it. If you saw him point to the sky on Sunday, yep. that's what he was pointing to. Yep. That girl. But, but Jackson's healthy. They're doing good. And obviously his mind is right this year, and you totally understand why it wasn't right last year. Awesome, yeah, yeah. We are we are wishing because they went through hell and back last year, and it's always good to see uh, you know family still stay strong and now get some some good news. So best of luck to Gary and his family, yeah. and let's uh, let's end it with um, cure the uh, a cure the Jayhawks at home segment. I mean, my gosh, just to give the people who are listening an idea, uh, when I went to college. I went there from 93 to 97, but from 94 to 98, we didn't lose at home. We won, a, we won 62 consecutive home games. And then there was a time, I think it started in the uh, latter part of 2009, Kevin, went through about 2000, uh, gosh, 12 maybe? I don't know. We won 69 in a row, and that streak would be even be longer than 69. The night before, um, we lost to Texas. The night before that, Thomas Robinson's mom tragically passed away. If you remember that game against Texas, we came out of the shoot. We were up 18-3. to three. We were going crazy. And then just the adrenaline. No one had slept the night before. Coaches, players, and all the adrenaline that was so pumped up from the first, you know, the boost of the crowd and everything, it just got sucked out of them after that, you know, I would say the under 16-minute timeout, and they wound up losing that game. So now we go here, and this year, I mean, gosh, self-admittedly, right? Coach Self, self-admittedly, I like saying that screwed up that OU game. If he doesn't screw up that OU game, we're undefeated on the road, yet we've lost three times in conference at home? That doesn't happen. What the heck is going on, Big Tex? That is funny you say that because Coach Self is available today, and that was my exact question to him, was what is going on at home? How do you explain this? And, and Bill's pretty vocal. He's not very happy right now, and 
he's not very happy with the effort, which is something you thought you'd never say. And then the follow-up question was, have you ever not been, um, you know, has, has effort ever been a problem in the past for you with teams? And Bill's answer was, no, I've never had a problem with effort. And because of that, he called out, I don't want to say players, but there was certainly one that, that seemed obvious. He said he's going to make a change in the starting lineup on Tuesday night against TCU. Um, Mitch Lightfoot is going to start. They're going to go with two bigs. It's going to be Mitch and Udoka, and then uh, Devontae Malik and Svee. And LeGerald Vick is not going to start on on Tuesday night. I think that's a clear clear message that Bill's trying to send because he needs more from LeGerald, who has not been very good lately and not just scoring. I mean, it's way beyond that. It's, it's playing defense. It's rebounding. More importantly, he's the most athletic guy on the team, but he just hasn't been involved. And, and Bill, is, he is... He's gone out of his way to say, if everybody on our team plays hard as Devontae and Smee, we wouldn't have to worry about this. Right. Those two guys are killing it every single game. And um, he's frustrated right now. And it's, this streak is a weird thing, Tiny. It's a weird deal. But let me ask you this. As a Kansas fan, what would you rather have this year? You can only have one, Okay. Would you rather have a 14th consecutive Big 12 regular season title, which would set the all-time record for most consecutive conference titles, or would you rather have a trip to the Final Four? You're not going to give me the national championship option, right? That's too easy. That's too easy. Which one? Which one would you rather have this year? Oh, gosh. If I if there's no guarantee that we're that we're winning it once we get to the final four, I think there's something to be said about consistency year in and year out, and anybody can get hot randomly in one year and win a national title. Um, however, to win 14 conference titles in a row in a conference like the Big 12. Look, the NCAA tournament's not a series. You don't play. The higher seed doesn't play at home. If that were the case, Kansas would have a bazillion NCAA titles because of their, with the exception of this year, home court advantage. I'm, I'm almost getting comfortable that the NCAA tournament is not going to be in Allen Fieldhouse. <laughs> it's not at home this year, right? <laughs> um, so um, that being said, you do the work day in and day out. You win your conference in a conference such as the Big 12, 14 years in a row. I'm taking, I'm taking, just as, you know, I coach, I coach at a diff, in a different sport, tennis, right, Kevin? That's why I, I, my love. You're good every single year, man. You're going to knock down the door. you you, you got to be good every year to have a chance. And um, to say that we have a shot every year, I think, is special as opposed to most years you don't have a shot and one year you get lucky and you get hot and you do. I'd rather take my chances with a team that's consistently good and has a legitimate shot every single year. I'm taking consistency every time. Okay, now, this is, this is, this is my argument. This is what this streak has done. It makes you crazy because with all things being equal, if there's no streak, and I just ask you, what would you rather have, a regular season title or a final four. Well, of course, of course the final okay. four, but so you could ask that for you could ask that for almost every other team in the country. Okay, so let me let me ask you this. Over the last twenty years, I can speak for myself here, what years do you remember from the team? Which years stand out to you and tell me why they stand out? I remember every one of them, but there are certain tournament losses that kill you because you know you were better than them. I don't I don't get upset. No, that, no not that. I mean I mean for success. Outside of these 14 in a row, you can't name any other years for certainty that they won a, a, a conference title, but you can name 88, 91, Of course, those are the landmarks of our sport. Winning a national championship, going to the Final Four, that's a landmark of our sport. But you know what else is also a landmark of our sport? Winning a conference title 14 years in a row, which has never been done. Look, we can we can talk about this till we're blue in the face. I've had conversations. I've had I've had frustrating conversations. Right. But but I've had frustrating conversations with this. Look, when I look at Kansas's results in the NCAA tournament, 
sure, I would love to have beaten Oregon and Kansas City. Sure, I'd love to have beaten Villanova. But you know what? Those teams were very good. And when you get later in the tournament, you're going to be playing very good teams, right? It's, it's a crapshoot. The games that stick with you that are the killers are the Northern Iowas, are the VCUs. I mean, gosh, you said it earlier. That VCU, that was our year, man. That was our year for a national championship. Those are the ones that hurt you. The games that you lose to other very good teams, that's sports, man. There's no guarantee. You're going up against really good teams. The ones that are the killers are, are the ones you, you know you're better than, and nine out of ten times you beat them. So we'll end with that. We've been going for almost 50 minutes. This is the longest podcast we've had. Um, I've felt, um, yeah, I try to keep it a little short, but, but having you on was a, was a gift. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, we'll we'll do this. We'll definitely do this again. And for those I know you got, <laughs> I know um, you got a ton of people who. Uh, well, I know you have a ton of people that that love your work. You do an awesome job, and, and everybody associated um, with the University of Kansas and and all the people in the state of Kansas love your work. And thank you, man. Thank you for spending my time. It's a it's a privilege to call you a very good friend of mine. And this is. This is fun, man. This was really fun. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I don't get to be on the other side very often, and very rarely do I get to talk tennis y'all. I know. Hey, man, have a good night, and uh, we will definitely do this again. Thanks a lot, Kevin. All right, Sonny. Good to chat. Thanks, man. That was a privilege for me. Big Text is so great. So we will end it here, and with that... We'll end it with Tim Mahoney, another Come On Home. This was a great, great podcast with Kevin Romery. And we will be back again. You know my usual court side with Beelins and Tennis segments on Facebook Live on Thursday nights at 8.30 p.m. Central Time. And we also supplement those with, with podcasts such as this. So everybody have a good night, and we'll talk to you soon.